0: Let's turn our attention now to the Word of God. Our Old Testament reading is Genesis 5. Genesis chapter 5. This is the living and abiding Word of God. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind. In the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalalel. After he begot begot Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters, so all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and begot, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And our New Testament reading is Matthew chapter 11, 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Thanks be to the Lord for His Word. Let's pray now and ask Him to bless it to us. Our gracious Lord God, we pray that we would see and savor the truth of the Gospel that we see here in Genesis chapter 5. We pray that You would... Show us who you are. Show us who Jesus Christ, our Savior, is. Show us what our plight is. And show us the wonderful salvation you've worked for us in your Son. And give us faith in him. We ask all this in his name. Amen. In Romans 15, verse 4, Paul writes this. He says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Now Paul's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures there, and he's saying the Old Testament was written to instruct us and to encourage us and to give us hope. He says something very similar in 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture profitable. All scripture good to give us encouragement and hope and instruction and training for righteousness. It's one thing to believe that, to read that and think, yes, that's true. I, I know that's true in theory. But then it's another thing to experience it, right? You go, you open the Old Testament, and you're reading along. And there are some bits that, that rings true. Yes, this feels profitable. This feels like training in righteousness. Uh, some of the wonderful narrative sections with, with the, some of the wonderful stories of God's faithfulness. Um, the Ten Commandments, the Psalms, right? There's, there's so much there. But what about the genealogies? What about a chapter like Genesis 5? Where's the instruction and the encouragement and the hope here, right? There are these long lists of names that we can't pronounce of people we don't know. What good is that to us? Um, we can, you know, our eyes glaze over uh, and, we, and we rush on to the next, the next chapter. But brothers and sisters, they have a purpose. The genealogies in Scripture are there for a reason. Uh, uh, God has a reason in what he chooses to put in Scripture. He, he has a reason in, in what, he, what he inspires the human authors to write. The human authors, under his inspiration, have a reason to include it. I mean, Writing a genealogy like this, with the kind of precision and detail we see, would take a lot of research. Uh, and Moses had to go track all this down. He had, he had to find all this out to, to write this down. There's a lot of research that goes into knowing exactly when Jared begot Mahalalel. Right, knowing what, how old he was and, and the ages and that sort of thing. There's a lot that goes into this. It, it was tedious for him to write it. So why do he go to all that effort? There's a purpose. That's what we're saying. So what we need to ask when we come to a text like this is, well, why, why is it here? I know it's to instruct me in something. I know it's to teach me something. Why, why is it here? What's the theological purpose? And also, what's the practical purpose for my faith? to be strengthened here. As far as Genesis 5 goes, I think this is what it's teaching us through the genealogy it gives us. It's teaching us that even though death reigns through Adam, God is faithful to his promise to raise up a son who will bring us life and rest. God is faithful, right? We see, we see in Genesis 5 that death is reigning from Adam onward, but that God is being faithful to his promise. His promise to raise up a son. His promise to bring resurrection life. His promise to bring rest and relief from the curse. That's the main theme. We're going to unpack that this evening, Lord willing, now together by working through this, this chapter under four key words. The first is Death. Death. Genesis 5 uh, marks a new section in the book of Genesis. Uh, if you remember, I mentioned this previously, but Genesis has uh, 10 of these sections in it that are, that are marked off by the phrase, these are the generations of, or this is the genealogy of. Uh, and then it gives us the history of the descendants of that person that starts out there in the heading. So this section here that we have in, that, in Genesis 5, uh, Genesis five uh, starts at 5.1, runs until Genesis 6, verse 9. And it says it's the genealogy of Adam. So this is going to be about Adam's descendants up until Noah. But the focus here isn't on all his descendants. It's on a particular line. There's no mention of Cain, right? We saw last time, Genesis 4 is, is Cain's line. We see sin at work. Sin exponentially, you know, the, the, the ramifications of sin going out through Cain's line as his sons and grandchildren you know, get worse and worse. But here we see... The line of promise in chapter five. This genealogy is focused on the line that goes through Seth, the line of God's promise. It starts in five. Uh, the first couple of verses they're showing us, pointing us back to the creation of Adam and God's likeness. God reminds us here that He made Adam and even His image; that He made them to reflect His glory. He made them for communion with Himself. And he made them to steward the world he gave them, to, to rule over it for his sake and, and bring him glory through that. Um, it, it says that, uh, that that he made Adam in his image like this. It, do, it doesn't go into the, the, the details of the fall here because that's so fresh in the narrative. It was only a couple of chapters ago. But then it goes on to talk about Adam's descendants. And it says that Seth was born in Adam's likeness. Interesting comparison there between Adam created in God's likeness, now Seth is born in Adam's likeness. I think it's, I think it's telling us a couple things. That First of all, that Adam's children are also in the image of God. If Adam's the image of God and his children are his image, they're also the image of God. But I think it's also telling us that, that what happened to Adam in the fall is getting passed down to his children, including his sin, including the curse. And then we get this list of these descendants after Adam. Now, a few things stand out as striking here. One one is just how long these people live. We've got these huge lifespans, over 900 years. Uh, If you were born some 900 years ago, that would stick you in the Middle Ages. It's a long time to be alive. we get these, these great long lifespans. They're mind-boggling. What, what is this? Why is, it, why is this going on? We, there's not any explanation in the text. It just tells us that, that uh, they had long lifespans like this. Perhaps it was so that they could, they could populate the earth and spread out and fill the earth. It's God's common grace to man. Uh, so that they can, they can learn things well, learn new skills, right? And, and as civilizations are starting, they have all this time to figure things out and, and develop things, and perhaps perhaps that's part of his reason. Perhaps it has something to do with how close it is to, to the fall, because we, we see this falling off of the, of the, of the, the length of these lifespans the farther you get from the fall. We're not sure why, but it's here in Scripture. But anyway, while this while this lifespan, the length of these lifespans, does catch our attention, something else is driven home, and I want to hone in on uh, that, That's driven home even more. It's not that these people lived really long lives. That's the drumbeat of the chapter. It's that they all died. Right? Every single one of them ends with this, with a couple, of, with with one exception, right? Every single one of them, with one exception, says that he died gives us his name, gives us a son, tells us how long he lived after he had that son, gives us the total of his years, and then says, he died. Now, we don't really need that information, do we? Right? We, 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 we don't need him to spell it out for us. There aren't other genealogies in Scripture that do this. This isn't a normal feature of, of the genealogies in the Bible. You can just say, so-and-so lived to be 910, and then you just assume he died. But the takes pains to say over and over and over and he died and he died and he died what's the point that everyone who descended from Adam died this is exhibit A for Paul's statement in Romans 5 17 that death reigned through Adam this is is giving us the visual of of that same truth death after the fall this death, remember, is not just, a, it's not just a natural phenomenon. It's not just that, you know, the, the, uh, that it's just part, part of existence that you die at the end of it. But this is God's curse. We saw this uh, uh, as God exiles man from the garden. The, the curse includes this death. He tells Adam, you will surely die, and it follows on to his descendants as well. And God is, God is showing us every single one of them died, even as I promised they would if they sinned against me. It's a bleak picture. It's a dark picture. The uh, wonderful bliss of Eden has been replaced with the inevitability of death in this, in this world. It reminds us of our mortality. And, brothers and sisters, there's a really helpful lesson for us here. Right, our culture loves to push death to the margins, cover it up, sanitize it, hide from it. But Genesis 5 brings us back to the, to the very real truth that we are mortal, that we will die. That at the end of everyone's life, it's going to say, and he died. It reminds us of just how real God's curse is and how real the consequences of, of sin are. So Genesis 5 lays out for us this, right? God's curse, his his punishment on man, the wages of sin, is death. That's real. Happens to everyone. um, It's the proof of the effectiveness of his curse. But at the same time, it's also wonderfully proof here. This genealogy is proof of the effectiveness of his promise. Yes, it proves his curse on sin. It also proves his promise and his grace. That's our second key word, promise. Um, We see, we see God's promise, uh, His faithfulness to His promise in Genesis 5 in this genealogy. What was the essence of the promise that God gives Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15? It's that the woman will have a son. And now we get a genealogy. And every, right, right, every single birth is a reminder that God's being faithful to His promise. Every single birth in this family line, in this genealogy here, is, is, is a reminder. This isn't just a record that men die. This is a record that God is faithful to keep on giving sons and sons and sons until His promise in Genesis 3.15 comes true. That in, in this, into this world of sin and death and misery, God's promise stands and His grace is at work and generation after generation is continuing that. And he keeps bringing he keeps bringing new life and, and hes in particular he 's caring for the godly line here right we see it we, we saw in Genesis four last lord 's day that God is by his common grace he does sustain descendants in cain 's line He does give him children and his children children out of his common grace, but in particular here, God is not just preserving life but preserving Life of, of the godly seed and life of, of the promise. This is, this is the line of, of promise that we're tracing out in Genesis 5. Most of these names we don't know. We don't know if they were all faithful, if they're all righteous, or if there were some wicked mixed in. We, we, we know we get a few key ones drawn out and drawn attention to that we know they are righteous. Um, uh, but, uh, but, but what we see overall is that the true faith is preserved. The true faith is passed on here in Genesis 5 from generation to generation. And again, this, this emphasizes for us what we saw last time in Genesis 4, right? The, the main point of chapter 4 is even though it looks dark and bleak and the seed of the serpent is multiplying and growing stronger and appears to crush the seed of the woman, God is being faithful to his promise. And chapter 5 here picks that up and, and draws it out. Yes, God is faithful to his promise to bring a savior. He keeps his word. He keeps his word. So, promise. That's the second key word. And, and what we see now, two more things, to, to, two more key words here. Take that promise and highlight it for us. It'll give us two aspects of it, of it for us. Um, the first thing this, this promise is fulfilled in is, is the life of Enoch. This is our third heading, life. We see life here in, in Enoch. Enoch. Uh, Look with me at uh, verses 21 to 24. We read there this. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Three things that I want to draw out from from these verses that stand out here. First, we're told twice Enoch walked with God. No one else really gets much of a commentary in this genealogy on, on their life. But Enoch, we're told twice, he walks with God. Uh, we're, we're, we're told that he, that he is, uh, w- what does it mean, he walks with God? The same expression is used later on in chapter 6 regarding Noah. It says this in, in Genesis 6-9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. So, in other words, to walk with God is to be blameless and righteous and, 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 uh, and living your life before the face of God. We get a similar expression used with Abraham as well. In Genesis 17, verse 1, God says to Abraham, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And then we get it again. 1 Kings, uh, David is commanded to live the same way. Walk before me in faithfulness with all your heart and with all your soul. And then finally, uh, to, to illumine Enoch's life of walking with God a little more, Hebrews 11:5 gives us, this bit, that that uh, Enoch is living his life as a man of a man of faith. So if we put all this together, what's it mean to walk with God? It means that you're living by faith. You're you're trusting the promises of God. You're living before the face of God. You're recognizing that he is watching everything you're doing and your whole life is oriented towards towards fearing and obeying and honoring honoring him. Enoch did this. We're told that he 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 lived this way faithful to the Lord. The the sense here is that it wasn't just a seasonal thing, it was a continual thing. He continued walking with God. The rest of the world's turned from him, but Enoch stays faithful, walking with him. Matthew Henry comments this, that to walk with God like Enoch means to set him always before us and to act as if we were always under his eye. It is to make God's word our rule and his glory our end in all our actions. It is to make it our constant care and endeavor in everything to please God and in nothing to offend Him. Enoch's here is a wonderful example for us. We see here part of of, uh, what uh, the New Testament promises about the usefulness of the old, right? An example for us to to instruct us in how to walk before the Lord in holiness. That's the first thing that stands out. with this uh, section on Enoch here. He walks with God. Second, it's it's no coincidence here to notice that uh, Enoch is the seventh generation from Adam uh, through through Seth's line. If you remember chapter 4, we trace Cain's descendants down uh, to, to Lamech, and he's the seventh from Adam through Cain's line. And Lamech is, is sort of the epitome of sinfulness in that chapter, that, that, uh, that, that the fruit of sin has, has, has just multiplied and, and taken off in Lamech's life, that he's boasting of his violence and his vengefulness, and he's uh, rebelling against God's created order. Um, uh, we, we see that he's, he's the seventh from Adam in the sinful line. But here we get Enoch, seventh from Adam in the godly line. Contrasting here what God's grace does. Right? What, what, we, we see in chapter 4 what sin does. How it wrecks Cain's family for generations. and gets worse and worse and worse. But chapter 5 says here's what God's grace does. Right? Look how it can save and change a family. And a life. That's the second thing to see. God's saving grace, His glorious grace to the line of Seth and and to to Enoch in particular, that has borne such fruit that this man is now walking with God so faithfully. And then the third thing, the most striking thing of all about Enoch is that instead of the usual conclusion in the genealogy, gene, the genealogy here, right, and he died, which all the other people here get, we read this about Enoch, and he was not, for God took him. That's remarkable, right? We, get, we have this record of death. He died, he died, he died, and, and smack in the middle of it. Enoch, he was not, for God took him. What's going on with Enoch? What is this? Uh, uh, This is similar to what happens to Elijah in 2 Kings 2. He's taken up bodily. The flaming chariot comes and takes Elijah up bodily, and he's hidden by a cloud. Um, Enoch, same thing happens. He's taken up by God. Hebrews 11.5 says this, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. It's mysterious. We don't. We don't. We don't know how this. How this worked. That he's translated into heaven without having to taste death. But the point of it is this glorious ray of hope here in the middle of this dark chapter about about the curse and death on on sin. Here comes here comes God's grace, raising up this man Enoch who walks with God faithfully, and then in some miracle doesn't die. It's remarkable. It's it's it's, it's holding out this wonderful promise to the men of his time, to the godly line around him, that there is still life, eternal life, resurrection life, that death isn't final. It's holding out this hope to the Old Testament believers, right? They had had some promises. Not like we have. But Enoch's life was to them like a beacon, right? Here, God is the God of eternal life and who will make a way back into the paradise of God and to taste of that tree of life and live forever. It's a wonderful promise to them. And that's our hope, isn't it? Enoch points us to eternal life. He points us to life that, uh, life in the presence of God in heaven. The fact that he didn't taste death reminds us of this, brothers and sisters. But we have something better than Enoch, someone better than Enoch, don't we? I mean, Enoch's, uh, <clears throat> what Enoch experienced was only really for himself. Yes, it, it told others about eternal life, resurrection life. But it didn't accomplish anything for anybody else. Not, not, not effectively, right? Right. Enoch, he went, he, he, he was taken up in glory to heaven. Um, but, but we need someone who will take us up and resurrection life to heaven. And that's Christ, isn't it? Right, He comes, and he, he he's raised up from the dead, and he ascends into heaven, not just for himself, as an isolated and very strange phenomenon, but as the first fruits of the end-time harvest of every believer. Enoch's life is, is pointing forward to this, pointing us forward to the hope of of heaven that we have in Christ, the hope of eternal life. And then the fourth thing we see, the fourth key here is rest. We look towards the end now of the chapter, rest. Verses 28 and 29, we we read about Lamech. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. So we have another Lamech. This is not the same Lamech as in chapter 4, a different one. Uh, This Lamech is living by faith, not by sight. This Lamech is, is living... Uh, uh, trusting in God's promise. It's clear that he's trusting God's promise because of what he says here. He, He says, this one, his son that he has, he says, this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. He mentions the curse that God has placed on Adam. And, and on the world through Adam. Uh, uh, he, he mentions the, the brutal hard work and labor and exhaustion that God has sentenced, sentenced man to uh, uh, here. Uh, uh, he, 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 I think he's talking not just about the difficulty of the work, but also death itself, uh, and, and, and just the whole, the whole scope of the curse that God has placed on man through Adam's sin. And Lamech here, this, uh, Lamech in, in this godly line, he, he, he surveys, he stands at the end of this genealogy, as it were, looking back over the whole of it and this record of death and the effects of the curse. And he's, he's hoping in God's promise that a son, even his son, will bring comfort, relief, and salvation. And he, he, he's looking forward to, to rest. Rest. Uh, The name here that uh, he gives his son, Noah, means rest. Uh, And it's it's very similar to the, the word that he uses here for comfort and relief that he's looking for God to bring. What is the rest that he's hoping in? What's the rest that Lamech is is looking forward to? Well, of course, I'm sure he's looking forward to to relief from physical exhaustion, to having physical rest, no longer having to endure pain and hardship. And and, uh, he's probably imagining farming without weeds and pests and blight and drought and plague and exhaustion and uh, and life uh, as a whole without weariness and sickness and disease and death. Um, but, but even more than that, I'm sure he's, he's looking for uh, the eternal rest that God gives. We see this, this theme began in Scripture in Genesis 2, where God, after the six days of creation, has a Sabbath rest, where he enters into his glory. And, and we see God holding out this hope to his people, that he will give them rest, that he'll give them eternal life and joy in his presence, and and rest from their work. So Lamech is looking to his son to do this. Maybe God has promised to him that his son will have an important role to play uh, in in the story of Scripture here. Of course, Noah is going to play a key role. We're going to look at this in coming coming chapters. Um, Noah is going to give a kind of rest... He's going to bring a, a kind of new creation, right? God, through Noah, he's going to save the remnant through the flood. He's going to deliver these the, the, this, this godly line from the wickedness of the world around them. Uh, he's going to bring him into a, a world that's been refreshed and remade through the waters of judgment. He's going to have Noah as sort of a second Adam and bring some kind of rest through him, but not final rest, we see that after Lamech has his son Noah and he's hoping that this son is going to bring comfort and relief from the curse, we're told Lamech dies. Right, so, so, so Noah might bring some rest, but it wasn't everything Lamech needed. It's pointing forward, isn't it? We see this trace through Scripture, right? God's promise. Uh, a, a son is raised up. A son is born who gives his people a kind of rest. Right? Joshua brings the people into the inheritance in, in, in Israel, giving them rest pointing forward, right? Not the final rest. David, Solomon, they establish their kingdom. They bring the people a measure of, of rest. But it's all pointing forward, isn't it? To Jesus to Jesus Christ. This is why we read earlier Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, which echo this passage, don't they? Where Jesus says, "'Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest.'" But he's promising, if you're under the curse... If you're under the wrath of God and, and you're under guilt and sin and, 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 and the, the, the suffering of this life and the, the dark shadow that death casts over our lives, come to me. I'm the one who saves you from the curse. I'm the one who takes on that curse myself. And I'm the one who gives blessing and life and rest. Brothers and sisters, as we conclude here, the world of Genesis 5 is very far away in some regards. This world where they lived for 900 years, um, where Enoch walked with God and then disappeared one day and was never seen again. It's very far away, but at the same time, it's a very present reality for us. The the drumbeat of death that runs through it, uh, God's God's, uh, curse is still very real, isn't it? So we we need to look to Christ, don't we? We need to look to the one that's been promised for us. We're not just looking forward forward to Christ to come, and we're not not knowing the specifics, not knowing the details of that. But we get to look to the Son who has promised, our Lord Jesus, who has come already, and in a sense already has brought us into the rest we need. He's already delivered us from the curse that we're under Uh, through His death, through His resurrection. He himself has ascended and entered his heavenly rest. He's made the way for us to to join him there by faith, and he holds it out to us, if you trust me. You'll taste rest now, the foretaste of it, and you'll enjoy the fullness of it in the age to come. So this is the usefulness, isn't it, of Genesis 5? It points us to our Lord Jesus, the one who brings us eternal life and rest and delivers us from the curse. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the witness that your word bears so consistently to Christ, our Savior. Father, we pray we would look to none other for rest, not to ourselves, not to any other person or thing or institution, but only to Christ and the rest that he gives. Lord, make us to taste that. And Lord, we pray that you bring us there to the fullness of that rest to come.